You're listening to That's the Industry Podcast, episode number 36. Today, you're going to get an inside look of what it's like for celebrities and athletes to have relationships in the public eye. Here we go. You're listening to That's the Industry with Thomas Jordan. That's the Industry with Thomas Jordan. The podcast that takes you inside all the aspects of the entertainment industry. Directly from the people who are making it happen. And now, your host, Thomas Jordan. What's going on, everyone? Thomas Jordan here for another episode. Today, we are talking to a licensed marriage and family therapist. She has more than 10 years of experience. Portia Jones, how's it going? Great. Thanks for having me, Thomas. Absolutely. So, we're just going to jump right into it. How did you get into the industry? Well, you know, I, I think about it and sometimes I wonder, did I find the industry or did the industry find me? Um, this I can think of a story just kind of way back at thinking about the type of kid I was. I was definitely the kid that was so obsessed with this idea of love and relationships. And, you know, all of my Barbies were like a family style, you know, in a house with a picket fence kind of thing. But then, you know, later on in life, um, as I, you know, had a relationship and experienced one of my own. Unfortunately, that came to a, a tragic end. Um, and I'll tell you how this kind of comes full circle. And I was sitting, ironically, with a dear friend of mine about 15 years ago, when I lost my my professional athlete husband. Um, and I didn't know for sure where I would go and what I would do. And I had a six-year-old son to raise, and almost 15 years ago, at the restaurant, literally attached to this building that we're sitting in, where I've now been in private practice for years, I decided then that I wanted to reclaim a life and reclaim a life through helping others heal through their pain, because I got real familiar with, with, with pain real quick. So that kind of really came full circle for me, and that led me here. When you came full circle, what was kind of going through your head or what type of emotion were you kind of feeling? Was it a mixture of happy, sad, or was it just like a reflection or a gratitude type thing? Oh, it was really a sense of, I would say gratitude, um, a sense of, of relief, um, a, a sense of clarity that I knew that I had a purpose for my life, even though my life had drastically changed and overnight. So definitely a mix, a mix of emotions, Thomas. And what was it like when you helped your first client? Or do you remember your first client first off? Oh, boy, that takes me back. Um, You know, what I do remember, Thomas, honestly, was, you know, the goal was to stay in the room. (laughs) And in my field, you know, know, we teach these young therapists, you know, that's your primary goal initially is to kind of stay in the room. So I remember I stayed in the room. And, and I do remember walking away feeling a sense of, of connection, a sense of feeling humbled, a sense of feeling privileged that I could, my words meant something. My words were powerful to someone in that space, in that moment where they could walk away and grow and change their lives and become a better version of themselves, you know in that moment. So that was really, really rewarding. So I do remember that. Was it scary at all? Your first one? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Remember what I said? We were trained to just stay in the room because, you know, it it was it was pretty scary because, yeah, these are lives you're dealing with and you want to show up your best self and, and you want you genuinely want the best for the person sitting across from you. So it feels like there's definitely high stakes. Mm hmm. And was there a high after they left? You know, because that was your first one, you were probably super nervous and they left and like just, was it euphoria that kind of went through or is it just like, oh God, I don't want to do this now? (laughs) Right, right. Maybe a little bit of both. I mean, really, Um, you know, I I do think that that sense of relief that, you know, I got through it, I got to sit in the room, but yeah, you know, there, there was that sense of excitement and, and thrill that, I could be a change agent in someone's life that when I think most people think everyone has somebody, 
Everyone has a person in their life that they can go to, they can talk to, to help them through their pain, their hurts, their hurdles. And that's just not true many times. And, you know, for me to feel that I could be that person for that person in that moment for those 50 minutes was really exciting. When did you start working with uh, more high profile clients? Did it start small and then kind of work into that? Yeah, it did. It did. Um, you know, and, and I think back and, and like I said, my my husband um, was a professional athlete. And so I do think that the, I know the topic that we're discussing today, we're going to definitely be talking about um, high profile relationships and professional athletes and entertainment community um, couples. But I think back and I remember writing a, a paper early on. So I had a vision. Um, and a part of my goal was to help couples like me, um, help other couples that lived in very unique lifestyles um, of the professional athlete community. And so I knew early on I wanted to help that particular community. I really didn't know how I would do that yet. Fortunately, um, I was kind of in the bubble. So I had kind of some credibility, right? Some street cred there where, you know, I could reach out to, to some of my, my friends and let them know what I was doing who were already in the bubble in the community. Um, and so they were able to, um, they were able to speak up for me and uh, early on began referring clients um, to me and letting other people know what I do. So it did start off small, but I had a vision um, very early on. And what is the main difference you would say between a traditional relationship and a high profile relationship? Although there are many similarities, you know, maybe we'll get to that, but there are definitely some unique, unique challenges. Um, one that stands out to me is that, I mean, these couples are in the spotlight, not just a spotlight, right? It's like a moving spotlight. It's like everywhere they go, um, they're seen, which could magnify really any mistake, um, any problems that they're having can be known to all of us, scrutinized by the media, um, judged, and really tried sometimes in a, in a court of, of public opinion. That's one real unique difference in these type of high profile relationships. I mean, I see it all the time, whether it's an athlete or celebrity, they are under a constant microscope. How do you think that pressure affects the relationship? Oh, I mean, it can add a tremendous amount of stress. Um, For one, it can make it much easier for the individual or the couple or the family to reach out for help for, for fear of more of their confidentiality being breached for fear of being judged even even more so or scrutinized even more so. And so I think it leads to not reaching out for help, which then their problems are growing kind of in this dark place, kind of within the bubble, right? And so, you know, th- that's when I get really concerned about about those couples in those unique communities they can get lost somewhat. When you say get lost, do you see it more so in the men or more so in the women? I would say both. Um, you know, there is something else that's really specific, um, a unique challenge to kind of these high profile relationships and specifically professional athletes. It's kind of this culture of adultery where, you know, I think some of the players, some of the men may get lost in this kind of um, this false reality or this perception that uh, adultery is is a part of the culture. And it may defy some of their own morals and value systems. And it may become more of an expectation or this is kind of what, you, you know, what what my uh, what my peers are doing, what other players are doing, this is what what I should be doing, you know. And so I do think in that way, some of the the men could get lost in that way. But the women can also lose their way with this within this kind of culture of adultery because, you know, there's this kind of unspoken rule that says that we all look the other way when adultery happens with your husband. And 
that leaves women very alienated, isolated. It can lead to depression, anxiety, um, and ultimately, you know, really just um, damaging the, the relational bond between the two. So I think they both can, both partners can get lost, um, especially within that culture of adultery and the dynamics of that piece. And yeah, and that's the thing. And I'm glad you brought that up because that's, I don't want to call it a stereotype, but like, that's kind of honestly, that's where my head goes when it comes to like athletes, musicians, rock stars, whatever. Um, but is it in, usually it's the men at fault or is it sometimes where, the women get caught up into it too. Well, because I've I've heard some stories about. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, like we can't, you know. <laughs> right. We're, first of all, right. Disclaimer. Right. Not all, you know. Not all, you know. Men cheat. You know, yeah. professional athletes, entertainers. Not all men cheat. Um, and you know, I think there's a myth as well that women don't cheat. I mean, women can cheat too. You know, when I, I think in my experience, they they cheat for different reasons. Right. But I mean, it's so hard to find really good statistics on yeah. <laughs> on adulterous behavior these days. But, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, women can step out of their relationships just as well. Is it more for both sides? Is it kind of like almost filling a void like there's not getting a void from their spouse? So they look for it elsewhere. It could be. There's many different reasons that um, that lead um, people to cheat. I think, um, especially for you know, um, say men, you know, athletes and entertain- entertainers. I think the the resources, the mentality, and the opportunity is kind of the mix for what opens the door to adultery um, in those cases. And I think for women, many times, um, it could be out of loneliness, desperation, despair, call for attention. Um, It could be vengeful. So, you know, different, I think different methods lead to the reasoning of why each of those partners, what may lead to adultery within each of those partners. If that ever happened, were they able to work through it? Or is it kind of once it's done, the trust is gone, and then that's kind of all she wrote? Couples can heal, um, not only heal through adultery, um, they can be stronger, they can thrive. You know, sometimes adultery is kind of a wake-up call for the relationship. But does it totally shatter trust? Yeah. Will it be a road of recovery? Yes. But two people who love each other, where there's been mistakes made for different reasons, right? And if they have a willingness to want to do the work to recover, I mean, they can have a grand life ahead of them. This is not a death sentence. Uh, adultery is not a death sentence for, for any couple, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And and this is a lot because I could, you know, we could talk about them being uh, adultery all day. I just, I'm just, <laughs> right, right. I, I'm just trying to like, and you're, you're doing great. I'm just super curious. So with, with men though, especially the athletes, what would you say in your professional opinion is the main cause of them you know, seeking attention elsewhere. Right. Um, You know, what I find is it usually is a result of a mentality, possibly that, you know, it's okay for men to cheat. and, And that could have been rooted in family of origin dynamics. It could have also been, you know, reinforced in their their um, unique community that they live in. Um, also, I think that because they have the resources, you know, um, many say pro athletes may have the 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 money, that the time, the opportunity that affords them to potentially be able to cheat. Um, I think those are some of the the main reasons why I think men cheat, in, in my opinion, and, and based on what I've personally kind of examined and what's kind of been reported on my end. Um, of course, that it's it's not just, you know, um, just those things. It, it could go much deeper, you know, um, but that's where therapy comes in to play and can help sometimes really uncover and unpack 
maybe more deeper rooted issues in, in say shame or trauma that the person has experienced if a high profile couple come in like say we were a fly on the wall what is kind of your first question to them why are you here <laughs> yeah that's simple, but it, do, but do, does it just start like answers just start flooding out like that? Or oh yeah, <laughs> sometimes Thomas, I don't get to even ask a the question. They're coming in like shooting off, you know. This is what's going on, you know. This is what I need. My partner has done this, you know. And it depends, you know. Some some of my couples, you know, like they come in in crisis mode, right? So they're coming in pretty hot, and you know they're usually informing me early on in the process, you know, why they are coming in. Um, you know, in, in these kind of couples where there's been a major betrayal or an attachment injury, you know, first things first is, you know, do you feel safe? And, you know, has there been any, you know, escalations that I need to know about right away? Because my first goal is, okay, how can we not make this situation worse? Right. So I'm going to start examining their interactional patterns, you know, exploring, you know, their coping mechanisms, you know, how they're able to deescalate fights. Um, so I'm going to start putting some some boundaries in place right away, some safety boundaries just to help insulate and keep this couple safe as they begin to recover. I was going to say, how often is it kind of like a 50-50 a split where you're playing referee, like whether they give you a heads up or not, they just come in hot like, he did this or she does this. Like, right, damn. right. You know, <laughs> definitely my role changes, you know, depending on the situation, right? And, you know, sometimes I do find myself in some instances um, – playing referee, as you call it. I like to say mediating. <laughs> Yours sounds a lot better. <laughs> you know, but sometimes, you know, it's, it's not always that. It's sometimes the, the couples are coming in and they're really broken and they're really hurt. And, you know, it's really helping them get the conversation started and assessing kind of the impact of what's happened, really helping that particular couple understand. And those are really meaningful, powerful moments where a couple may, you know, some of the couples I get in, they may have not even spoken to each other since the betrayal, per se, or, or said very few words. So the space that a, a therapist can provide, a space that I provide for my clients is sometimes just really taking the lid off of of what's happened for the first time in a safe space. And so you get to hear what's happening with your partner. You get to hear new information that can be really healing, therapeutic, and clarifying for each partners. And how do you... Because you see in like movies and TV, you see, you know, where people gang up or they feel like the therapist is ganging up on one of the other, um, uh, whether it be the husband or the wife. Um, how do you stay in the middle and almost like and be unbiased? So it's like you're making it fair to each side. Oh, I, I take a side, Thomas. Right. Oh, yeah? Right. Let me tell you what side I take. Okay. I take the side of the relationship. Okay. Right. And, and, and that's a difference. And my couples, you know, they jam me up about that all the time kind of thing. Um, but it's just like, you know, they want me to align or get on their side or, or the other side. And I said, hey, you guys are paying me to support your coupleship here. And so that's my client in this space. So who's ever not representing this coupleship, you know, in the healthiest way, then that's what we're going to deal with in those moments. So I am on the side, on a side, I pick the side of the couple for them. How many sessions do you think it takes? Does it depend on how long the couple has been together? Does it depend on what's happened? Or are you like miracle worker? Oh, I wish, you know, I tell my clients all the time, I wish I had a magic wand, really, I would wave it right now. Um, You know, but it it depends on yes the you know what brings the couple in um some couples i work with through crisis and you know they feel like okay we've got through this and we've got what we needed kind of thing but in general thomas i would you know let couples know that i would recommend a minimum of 6 months of therapy 
And that may sound like a really long time to be in therapy. But if you think about, you know, 50 minutes once a week, right? And if you do the math on that, that's four hours a month, right? So I'm asking you for 24 hours of therapy, 24 hours of work for probably, you know, six years is what the research shows of problems that you've had that's kind of piled up, you know, because you didn't know where to find help. You, you know, you feared reaching out for help, right? You hoped things would get better. And so, you know, I would recommend at least six months of, of therapy for couples. And we, we keep talking about um, kind of the challenges, but you uh, kind of spoke about a safe haven for these relationships. And what did you mean by that? Yeah, you know, or creating I, a safe haven. Sorry. Right. No, you're right about that. I'm, I'm very passionate about teaching couples how to cultivate this, this safe haven, you know, and if we think about a safe haven, you know, most people can think about their, you know, their childhoods and the, and their home, their childhood home feeling like a safe haven. You know, it was the relationships that you had with your attachment figures, your mother and your father. It was the confidence that you had that when you reached out for support, um, when you needed comfort, when you needed care, that that would be given to you. When you reached out and you needed someone, you could find them. That's what cultivates or constitutes um, a, the safe haven. And so I promote this in couples. I help them cultivate this um, this safe haven, if you will. And, and what's so important about having a safe haven, Thomas, is because that helps ward off um, ward off negativity, negative things that happen in your life, obstacles, challenges, tragedies, traumas. And so it's a really big deal that if you can find that secure attachment, the confidence in your partner to know that they have your back and that when you reach for them, you can find them in your greatest need then, you know, you can go out into this, you know, sometimes lately, the scary world that we're living in, full of uncertainty and instability. You know, the athlete now can go out on the court and not have to, you know, worry about, you know, the anxiety from their their broken relationship or negative interaction they just had with their spouse. And so it's a game changer that I believe in relationship, which we'll all have eventually, we're wired for it, wired for connection, that if you can build and cultivate the safe haven within your relationship, that you will be so much better in all the areas of your life. It will help you show up your best self. It'll help you reach out. It'll help you you know, be brave and be courageous and take risks, you know, healthy risks, because if you fall or something goes wrong, you know, you're going to be okay, because you have home, you have the safe haven in your partner. It's like they're, uh, what do they say, like their rock, you know, like, whether it's the male athlete, that's his rock. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's the rock. I love that. And everyone needs a rock. I mean, imagine if you didn't feel that you had that that rock or that place of stability or, or you know somewhere you knew someone that you knew that you could count on to be there for you in in the world that we're living in today you know that would lead to you know typically you know increased anxiety depression isolation so there's a, a, a lot of you know negative negative um, impacts to that mm-hmm yeah, I was uh, one of my uh, friends said something. Then she goes, "Everyone wants the rock star relationship. Somebody's got to be the rock. Somebody's got to be the star." And I always chuckled at that. But it's interesting, yeah. Because I mean, you, like you said, if they have that safe haven and they have that rock, that person could, I feel like, could almost go beyond their, in this case, athletic ability. Absolutely, the sky really is the limit. When you know that if you fall, there's a safe landing, 
You know, there there is. That's so funny. I, I hadn't heard that, the rock and the star. But it reminds me of thinking about, you know, in these high profile relationships, you know, how the, the wives are, are depicted, you know, kind of as as the rock and not the star. That's, you know, although they are in many times, that's just the role that that they're more elected into um, in these kind of unique lifestyles. But many times, Thomas, I mean, these these wives, you know, the, these partners, these women are are extraordinary, too. They're stars, too. You know, and that's sometimes a unique challenge that these kind of uh, couples face is that there is a lost dream of a partner. And so I also help, you know, these athletes help support their wives in their lost dreams or help them cultivate their stardom. Do you find that for these these athletes that it's kind of hard for them to find that rock? Because in a day and age when everything is just so fast with these apps, with, I mean, dating apps, I mean, just the attention they get whether they're in town or out of town or on social media, do you think it's, do you think that's maybe why it's kind of tough for them to just find that rock and just stay with the one rock because there's just so many options. It's kind of hard to just pick one. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I would say that that's pretty, um, a pretty, I think typical challenge for most people um, in this day and age for all the reasons you just talked about of really finding that rock in their life Um, just that person that they can that will stick with them and that can you can build a life with Um, and I do see that that challenge is, um, is is more visible especially when athletes are single and they they get stardom it seems like it really becomes challenging because you never really know if someone's with you because of you. And so, uh, you know, many times a, a lot of the, the the high profile couples that I treat, um, they've been with a partner for years before stardom even happened. And so those relationships, um, because of the history and I think of the relationship before the stardom happened, they're at a much um, greater probability of really being successful in their relationship Um, because when they do meet partners after they've had this fame, you know, I encourage them to be patient and, you know, I, I give them this kind of developmental model of, you know, this is what I need you to do, you know, when you're going to go out there and try to meet new partners, you know, I need you to really get to know them first. And this is what that looks like. And you have to know them first before you can trust them. And this is what this looks like. And you have to be able to trust someone before you can rely on them and bef- then rely on them before you commit to them. Right. So there's kind of this developmental approach I like to walk, um, walk my clients through and to, to hopefully help them secure a healthy relationship. Mm hmm. Can you kind of give me like a Cliff's Notes version? I know because you're usually with them an hour, but you talk about you go into stages of like trust. And what were the other the other ones? Yeah. Getting to know. Yeah. Getting to trust before you rely, before you commit you know, and and then before, you know, maybe there's physical intimacy, right? And and I know people have their own value systems and their, you know, their own idea of relationship. But some of these people, you know, some of my clients are, they're coming out of backgrounds where they don't have, a, they don't have a map of, of what a healthy relationship should look like, or, you know, you know, how, what does it look like or what are the steps to be in a healthy uh, in a healthy relationship? And so, you know, it, it can seem fairly elementary, you know, at first, but it's kind of like these eye opening moments like, oh, so maybe, you know, I shouldn't have, you know, relied on this person when I've only known them for two weeks hmm. to, you know, to to give them a key to go into my house and water my plants while I'm on the road. Right. So like those are the kind of examples I'm like, okay, so let's kind of recalibrate this thought. And it's, and, and it, it's really helpful. And it, it, you would think that, okay, everyone kind of knows that you should 
probably operate in this way, in this order. But like you said, Thomas, in this day and age, you don't have to wait for all that. You can have a relationship right now in an instant, but it will be just that. It will last an instant. (laughs) If you want long-term, long-lasting sustainability, happiness, joy, love. And it's interesting you spoke because uh, you used the word elementary and that is the exact word that was in my head is, and that's the thing you're explaining it to these guys who it may be elementary to us, but I'm, is it interesting to kind of see the light bulb go off in their head? Like, Oh, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. And it also provides just, you know, another entry point for us just to explore more in their life in their in their histories and their own experiences and it helps it helps disrupt maybe negative schemas what we call them negative um or unhealthy um ways of how they've envisioned relationship to be based on what they've seen and so it's i think those are like the exciting moments where it's like oh i get to kind of rewrite this this script in my head is how i thought it should go or how i've always done things I realize I can do it differently. It, this is a healthier way of doing it. Mm-hmm. It empowers them. You know, it's kind of like a little playbook. Interesting, right? You have to meet these, you know, these players on their terms, right? They're not going to come out of their mentality when they come into the therapy room. You know, it's difficult to even come out of their mentality. You know. Of, of this high pressured environment, this kind of read and react kind of culture to even when they go home, it's, it's still there. So I'm like, Hey, let's, let's take advantage of this. Let's, let's utilize this. So I love helping, you know, these, these particular type of couples develop playbooks for their relationship, you know, and let, let's talk about, you know, what constitutes a foul, you know, all right, timeout, take your two and a half minute NBA timeout right here kind of thing. So I, I take the skills that they're already um, they're they're already utilizing and we we apply them to the relationship in that way. You know, what's out of bounds, right? So we take their language and the way that they think to help set healthy boundaries around their relationship. So it's a fun way to, to talk about it, but I think it's just a relatable way um, to to help really build to cultivate the safe haven we've been talking about are all playbooks different for each relationship it could be absolutely it it really depends on what the couple wants and what they value and what they see for their relationship that's what i'm going to support we talked about all these athletes, but I'm always curious what's going on with the wives while the guys are, you know, playing. In my head, I just see cattiness, just like this click. It's almost like a reality show, like what you see on TV. I think there is a reality show TV called Basketball Wives. Oh, is yeah. that right? Yeah. It is. It is, you know. But what do you think these wives are doing? They're shopping. No, I'm just joking. But I mean, really, that's what everyone thinks. You know, everyone thinks they're they're shopping or they're, you know, on basketball wives or something, you know. But these reality shows, I mean, uh, reality TV shows, I mean, there is some reality to it, I suppose, but it's still TV, right? So it's still sensationalized and um, I think manipulated. And and, and so, you know, it, it... it, it puts out, it sends out this message. I think shows like that can send out this message that somehow this lifestyle is full of glitz and glamour and, you know, labels and the who you knows and all those things. And I'm not saying that's not a part of the culture, but my clients are, you know, real people trying to do real life and they have real feelings um, and so regardless of their profession or, you know, their, their, their bank account, they feel hurt and pain just like you and I, and that's real to them. So there's, you know, I don't hear about so much of the drama and all those things that, that you may see on reality TV amongst, um, kind of like basketball wives and things like that. Um, most, most wives I see are doing what, 
ordinary wives would would do. Um, they're trying to raise their kids, trying to stay connected to their husbands, trying to support their husbands. You know, yeah. So in that way, it's you know it's very similar to you know ordinary couples. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because and I always and I already know being in Hollywood for a while that reality TV is definitely not reality TV. Um, a lot of stuff, like you said, is hyped up or you know uh, taken out of context. If, have you ever seen it where okay, you saw something happened and then possibly you knew who they were and they came in and then they were like, no, that's not how it happened. They just did that for TV. Did you have you ever run into something like that or something similar? Well, I would say definitely there's, you know, something similar where, you know, some of my high profile clients have definitely reported, you know, how they may have been attacked in the media or uh, portrayed wrongly in the media. And absolutely, there's always another story to that, you know, and and we work through the the impact. I mean, the trauma behind how the media can misportray or judge or scrutinize um, that person even wrongly because the story is just wrong. So yeah, that can happen. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, how does one explain it to the significant other that it was literally just a picture or a video that looks bad, but it really isn't what it actually was? Especially if there's like a bunch of outlets reporting on so-and-so did this, this, and this, but his wife is at home or something like it could, like you said, it could have been just a photo. How did they explain it when they've got all this media on them? And like when he's trying to say like, that's not what it is. Right. Well, this, the therapy room provides a safe space where I can help us and assist the, the other partner to contain themselves to hear the partner's explanation, who is accused, right? So there's always room, you know, in, in a hopefully a safe space for someone to share their side of the story. But sometimes, Thomas, the reality of it is, is that, hey, I messed up. And that needs to also be said. If I messed up and, you know, I violated a boundary here or I you know, I violated you in our marriage, then, you know, I'm going to really encourage and support that couple in that truth also coming out, right? Because, yeah, the media can get things wrong, but they can get things right, too. Mm. Can you tell if somebody's lying? Uh, well. <laughs> or how, how good is your BS meter? <laughs> You know, I like to think it's pretty good, um, but I, I, I like to give, I do, I, I like to give my clients the benefit of the doubt and just show up that, hey, I believe in you. And and I, what I find is that's really helpful when you're showing up and you're giving someone the benefit of the doubt and you're saying, hey, I believe in you. And, you know, even if you've made a mistake, you're okay. I still think you're okay. That sometimes helps provide the space for the person to say, come clean, right? And, and you're, they're not feeling so, you know, scrutinized and judged in a space where they're tightening up and they're locking down on those lies, you know? And so there's, there's a therapeutic way, if you will, um, that I find helps um, kind of um, shed some light on, on maybe some deception. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just wondering, I was like, God, because uh-huh. <laughs> you got it for 15 minutes, I'm sure. Uh-huh. <laughs> Whether it's three seconds or a minute in, you're just like, oh, sorry, dude. Hmm. I don't gotcha. But yeah, I know you have to be fair. So, and you, you know, you would never call somebody out. But, uh, you know, you know, we're kind of not focusing on the, like the negative side of relationships, but, um, what would you say are the keys to a really healthy relationship in the high profile space versus the average couple space? Yeah. Well, I mean, I love the idea of kind of developing a playbook for your relationship. And I think that can be utilized uh, for for any couple. Um, I like to say, build a healthy entourage, right? And so it's kind of like, 
All right. Some some entourages can be distractions or kind of barriers to connection in your life. You know, think about that and, you know, build a healthy entourage, one that consists of a mental health professional, um, nutritionists, um, different assistants, um, positive, healthy family support systems. Um, I think that will help help safeguard your your relationship as well. Um, also, realize that there is value in your time away from your sport um, or away from that thing that you're so focused in on, whether, you know, you're a CEO and you're working 60 hours a week or 70 hours a week. Um, so cultivate activities and interests um, that you both, you and your partner both can belong to, um, enjoy and bond over. Um, and of course, you know, think about coming into therapy especially with the pandemic going on, there's a lot more downtime and we've got telemental health now. So, I mean, for real, Thomas, you can have therapy at the press of like two buttons and you're in therapy, you know? So there's like that barrier to coming out of your home, being seen, you know, waiting in a waiting room, like that barrier is now no longer there. So I would encourage couples to take advantage of telemental health right now and and have, you know, therapy in the privacy of your own home. I like to um, kind of educate, you know, couples on, you know, remember I said it takes about six years uh, for couples to come into therapy. And, you know, especially high profile couples, it can take even that much longer unless there is like something catastrophic that happens, maybe in the media or something. Um, But a a few thoughts is, you know, one, even your intuition, even feeling that something is off or one of you know one of you is off you know even that alone should you know could spark hey maybe let's talk to someone um if you find less interest in talking to your partner or spending time or time with your partner if you're kind of withdrawing um or if the only time you feel connected in that you bond is through travel (laughs) um that happens pretty often where it's like okay what do you guys do when you're not traveling and it's like You get the deer in the headlight look like, ah, okay. So um, even um, an attachment injury, specifically around an affair um, or any other violation um, with, say, family members, extended family members around money issues, things like that. If, If anything that happens that disrupts your relationship and disrupts your safe calm, secure feeling with your partner could be indications to reach out for therapy. And would you say you people should reach out for therapy even though the relationship is healthy? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's kind of like we go to the doctor and we get our yearly, you know, physical, even when we're healthy. It's the same mindset that I encourage everyone to have that, you know, a mental health therapist should be a part of your you know, medical regiment, if you will, that absolutely, even my couples who finish therapy, you know, they come in quarterly just for check ins or checkups. So absolutely. Do you think that if some because I know the statistic for divorce in these days, it's anywhere between 50 and 60%. Do you feel like that statistic would be a lot lower if people did regular therapy? Yes. I do. I do. Because unfortunately, many couples either wait until it's too late or they never even make it into the therapy room. So I'm pretty confident that I believe absolutely therapy could save many more marriages. Why don't you think people do it? Because you see, I see it on TV too, where they're like, I'm not going to therapy. (laughs) Like, I don't need a therapist. Like, is that just ego talking or is it like, well, there's people who just, I feel like just don't like it or don't want to do it. Right. I think, you know, it's, it's kind of where you're coming from um, in, in your mentality about therapy, just like anything else. It's what were the attitudes and the messages kind of passed down to you? You know, if you come from a family who thought therapy was taboo or if you come from a family where, you know, men were macho and don't go into therapy and no no woman's going to tell me what to do. All of those could be factors to contribute, but it could be, you know, 
I'm afraid of what's going to be what's 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 going to be uncovered here, or I'm af- afraid of the therapist not understanding my point of view and taking my partner's side. So you know, and sometimes it's just as simple as you know, I don't even know where to go for therapy, and so that can be a deterrent of you know doing the work to find a therapist. You know, so it can be many different reasons of why people don't make it, why couples don't make it into therapy. Is money ever an issue? Because I could see not not high profile athletes, but just people just people who aren't athletes being like, "Oh, it's you know, it's too expensive." Because I know there, you know, I feel like there's this connotation some sometimes that therapy is very expensive. Hmm. And that's also a myth. I mean, um, therapy can be very expensive, just like anything can be very expensive. But there's variations of cost. Um, at Grow Counseling, um, our owner, Dr. Wendy Dickinson, uh, she created uh, a nonprofit organization called Grow Restored. And that's a, an excellent example of how, you know, people have the opportunity and the accessibility to receive really high level, good quality therapy um, for a significant reduction in the price and because we have people who are donating to the organization to the cause and helping support people who can't afford therapy Um, we also partner in the community here in buckhead right where you know where things can be really expensive Um, but we also partner in the community with low cost options so i encourage people to just say hey make a phone call Call us. Call us here at Girl Counseling. Call me, even if you're an individual. I see individuals too. Even if you don't want to see me, call me and I will help direct your path and help connect you um, to to someone that fits your best needs, your best financial needs. Now you talk about um, myths about therapy. What are some other myths that you've heard and seen about relationship therapy? Mm, myths about relationship therapy that it can't help us our problems are too big the therapist is going to pick a side and it's not going to be my side (laughs) that we will be in therapy forever I think that that's also a myth like you know this is going to take forever isn't it and it's like no not necessarily Mm -hmm. And you meant uh, you mentioned people. A lot of people don't know where to get help. And as far as grow counseling goes, um, do you guys just do the Atlanta area, or can you provide help to other people nationwide? Well, it depends. Um, we do have telemental health laws in place, um, which are somewhat blurred because of the pandemic. And I think um, you know everyone needing so much help um, in. You know, we're wanting to just kind of open things up to provide all the help that we can in the best way that we can um, with these virtual or telemental health options. But with that said, Thomas, I would encourage anyone from any state could always start here at Grow Counseling with us and we can help based on their specific situation. We can either help get them connected to someone um, that's local for them or we can evaluate the telemental health laws to see if we would be a good fit as well. Yeah, I, that's one thing I like about you guys is you have that set up so where if, you know, you can provide whatever information, whether you guys can help or not. And then if you can't, then you send them to where they can't get help, which I don't know of any other place that does that. So I, I think that's really great. But before I forget, you mentioned the pandemic. Now, would you say the pandemic has caused m- more stress on relationships? Because everybody's just kind of going a little <laughs> oh, stir yeah. crazy at the at the moment. <laughs> Let's be clear: the pandemic has caused more stress. Period. I think for everyone, but yes, especially um, on relationships. Because yeah, now we've got whether it's two partners working from home trying to manage, you know, homeschooling children. So it, things get you know really stressful really quickly, right? And then we have couples who now are really getting to know each other and maybe not liking what they're getting to know (laughs) and they're feeling trapped. There's nowhere to go kind of thing. And so, you know, there has been, I think definitely an uptick that um, that's kind of definitely correlated to the pandemic where, you know, there's new problems that are surfacing um, that are now, there's probably already always been there, but now it's, it's more in the couple's awareness 
Uh-huh. <laughs> it's not funny, but I just, yeah, the pandemic having just, yeah, everybody on top of each other. And like you said, with the kids and everyone's used to having their own space, I can definitely uh, see how that can get a little out of hand. But uh, where can we find uh, information about yourself or Grow, Counts- uh, Grow Counseling? Well, you can go to our website at www.growcounseling.com. You can find me there as well. Um, There is uh, all of our bios of of the staff at Grow Counseling is there on that website. Um, So you can read about um, all of our our clinicians and see if they would be a good fit. Um, Of course, if you want to reach out to me directly, all my information is there, my phone number, my email address. So that would be the simplest way. Awesome. And I'll put all that in the description below, but I just wanted to, once again, thank you for your time. And yeah, I think you did great. You're welcome. This was, this was great. I appreciate the topic. I I hope your listeners find what I had to say of value and helpful. I know they will. And like I said, I appreciate it. You're welcome. All right, that does it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. And I would love your help. This podcast is brand new, so I need all the help I can get. If you would, just subscribe to the podcast, leave a five-star rating. I really, really would appreciate it. And last but not least, I got a little something for you. For the last 10 years, I have been writing, shooting, producing, editing my own video to get my dream job as an entertainment reporter in Los Angeles interviewing the stars. Now, that might not be your dream, but if you are in this industry and you are in this field, you are going to need to learn how to write, shoot, and edit, produce your own content. And now I want to personally train you on these skills so you can create your own journey and make money while doing so. So what I want you to do now is log on to Facebook and request to be in my private Facebook group, On Camera Professionals. Once again, it is called On Camera Professionals. But wait, Thomas, I really like your stuff. I really want to learn from you, but I don't want to be on camera. Don't worry. I got you covered. In this group, I'm going to be doing a live training. So that means live tips and tricks. I'm going to do giveaways, freebies, and I'm also going to do personalized training. So once again, log on to Facebook and type in on camera professionals and I'll see you there.